Julia is here. For those of you with children, I'd like to meet her at the back and get your Bible bags. For the rest of us, we're going to take our Bibles and we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah is one of the major prophets. You'll find him right after the book of Psalms in that section of the Bible. We're going to start with the first uh, verse and only go through the sixth verse as the lectionary of this Epiphany Sunday takes us to this wonderful Old Testament prophecy of the Magi who come and the light that they follow. This week, as I was listening to NPR and all the different things as people were talking about the, the change of the calendar and the change of time and so on, I heard an NPR conversation with an engineer that captured uh, my thoughts for the week. He was talking about the creation of a 10,000-year clock. Have you heard of that? I hadn't heard of it. It seems that the founder of Amazon is investing millions of dollars to create a huge mechanical clock deep within a secluded mountain near the Texas-New Mexico border. It won't tell time in seconds or minutes or hours, but rather it will look at the longer now, as they call it, of horizons and years and centuries and star fields such that whoever might come or whoever might find it would be able to understand the language. Now the mechanics of it are, are just simply amazing. Uh, thinking through how to calculate centuries of time and what might happen and all of that. One of the things, for example, that they're thinking about is that if in fact the ice caps melt, uh, then that will change the rotation of the Earth, and so a day will change. And so time and how it's calculated will need to change. And so they're trying to insert that into the mechanics of the clock so that in 10,000 years it will take that into consideration. But what, what really spoke to me uh, was the way they were thinking about time itself. and. Uh, the larger reality or purpose of life. Danny Hillis, who's the engineer of the clock and co-chair of the Long Now Foundation, noted that back in 1379, Oxford University built New College. When they did so, they built a huge common room with beams of oak that were 45 feet long, two feet by two feet. And they knew that oak eventually will become unstable and that they will need to replace those beams of oak. But it takes centuries to grow oak trees that size. So in 1379, they planted a grove of oak trees. Well, just recently, uh, they cut down those trees to replace the oak beams in New College. Hillis explains in the interview, I realized we were kind of missing something by not thinking that way and that a lot of problems that we're working on, which seem sort of impossible if you look at the two-year and five-year time frame, which is kind of what we do because of the way we do politics and elect people and expect them to, to solve our problems. These things that seem impossible if you look at the two-year and five-year time frames are certainly going to get solved over the century time frame. So I looked for something that I could personally do that was in that time frame, something that was dealing with centuries rather than days, weeks, months, years, something that would matter 
long after I was gone. Now, I love that. That long view is what God has been encouraging us to take as his people from the very beginning of time to ask ourselves, is there something that I could personally do that would matter long after I am gone, long after the grave? Is there something that is longer and greater than my few decades, something which I could make a significant contribution to? Is there a fullness of time in which even 10,000 years is but a day in the sight of the one who made time itself? And in spiritual terms, does this longing for a long significance expressed by this engineer have a source and a fulfillment? Is that not, in fact, the essence of who spiritual beings really are? 700 years before God sent Jesus to be the light of the world, he had Isaiah tell us how to respond to the epiphany of his coming. In our text today, he gives us two simple imperatives. The first is to rise and shine with the light of the one who has come so that we can dispel the darkness and see clearly who and whose we are. The second is to lift up and see this light that has come and all that it shows us such that we can take action to be a part of what he's doing in this great significance, this great long that he is about. The second imperative to look up is in fact the epiphany, the vision, the theophany, the appearance, the understanding, the wisdom, the opportunity that epiphany in the season of epiphany stands for. Jesus came so that we might know and in so knowing have great insight. So we want to go back 2,700 years from today to the time of the prophecy of Isaiah, and we want to start at the 60th chapter going through the first verse. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camel will cover the land young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense, proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Epiphany is the day we remember the coming of these ones who brought gold and incense and knelt before this little one who was the light come into the world. It's the season when we recognize that when God draws near, then we're able to see, for he gives insight into the now and the long now. It is on epiphany that we remember that he has been and will continue to be working in our lives to bring about his purpose. 
both individually in our own small part in the story of God, but collectively in the fulfillment of his story as he is living it out through all time, all places, all nations, and all locations. So we want to consider these two imperatives as we prepare for the sacrament. The first is to rise and shine. The reason is very simple. The light has come, the glory of the Lord is over us, and the light has dawned upon all humanity. Now you'll remember, I love the song that Doug chose to begin worship with today, because the biblical word glory is different than the way we often use it today. We think of a person in their glory as having fame or prestige. The word glory in scripture is better understood as the presence of God with us. We know that because in the book of Exodus, when the cloud was going before the people, standing for God's presence, leading them on this journey to the new land, that when they built the tent of meeting, that tabernacle, that as it was prepared and everything was done, as God said, the glory of the Lord, the cloud of leadership, the cloud of God's presence, filled the sanctuary. And we're told the glory of God filled the sanctuary. And so when the scriptures talk about the glory of the Lord, they're talking about his presence being with us. And we are able to be surrounded by and guided by his great love. So what Isaiah is saying, that when our light comes, he will come over us and be with us just as the sun is over the earth. Jesus' coming is the dawning of the age of epiphany, the dawning of the age of the church, the Emmanuel, God with us. All of history changed when God himself entered the story and then gave us his Holy Spirit, the ever-present God, with you and with me every day of our lives. So if God is with us and if we are to rise and shine, then how do we do that? What, do, what does it look like for us to rise and shine? Well, verse 3 explains, explains it. It says, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Now, let me see, say the obvious to us that when this prophecy of Isaiah says your light and your dawn, he's not referring to the light that comes from you and from me. He's talking about the light that has come your light that has come from God and is reflected through us into this world. We are not smarter, brighter, more insightful because of who we are. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus coming. It's all about him being present. It's all about the Holy Spirit inspiring and working through us. The epiphany, the appearing of God, is God at work within and through us. And so we're to rise and shine let that be known and let it be seen. The second obvious thing is that the nations and kings are drawn to the light. We do not turn that light on others like a third degree spotlight declaring them to be less fit for God. We are to raise the light in the darkness and let it draw people to him. I'm sure we've all learned that the best way to bring people out of the danger and the pain of walking in the dark is not to yell at them for who they are as they walk in that dark, but rather to 
let the light shine and let them be drawn from that path and that way of life into the presence of God and let God change them and be with them and transform them. We invite as God in draws to. So we can either rise and shine and draw people to the light or we can sink and spotlight and drive people away from the light. But the second imperative Isaiah gives us is to lift up and look for the world is coming to Jesus. And if we will lift up our eyes and look and see, we will be ready then to accept and to instruct and to equip and to help people come to the fullness that God is doing in the world. And that does not mean to, to be the light in sanctuary only and wait for people to come into the sanctuary before we teach them and love them and, and care for them. In most people's lives, coming into sanctuary is the end of many moments where they've seen the light as it's been displayed in this world, as they've seen the smile and acceptance of a child of God who loves them just as they are, who's received that act of kindness where we've gone out of our way, where we've listened and heard the pain and walked with them through their sorrow or their joy, where we've reached out a hand to help someone in some moment in their lives, where we've explained the hope that we have within us when so much of the hope has gone out of the world where we have a Christmas carol that they've responded to, or a television show, an article, a novel, a movie. God's light is shining everywhere. His glory fills the earth, as the song we sang at the beginning of worship reminds us. His presence is everywhere. It's at work in all of our lives. So we're to lift up and look and explain and teach all that God has revealed in the epiphany in the coming of his great insight. The invitation of the sacrament is one such moment to come to the very presence of God. We are told by our Lord Jesus Christ that when that bread and that wine are present, that it's the presence of God. It's that great sacramental mystery. It's a unique time in which God's presence has promised to do the fullness that he came to do to forgive us of all our sins, to cleanse us and empower us for new lives of service, for allow us to not only be forgiven of the things we shouldn't have done, but be forgiven for the things we should have done, but we didn't. It's that moment when we allow God to restore us and renew us in whatever ways we need to be renewed and restored today as his presence is with us. And so as you receive the invitation of the sacrament, I encourage you to respond and to come to his presence and receive his presence within you and through you, and then to rise and shine as he is with you.